0: part six of the history of the thirty years war volume three by friedrich schiller translated by rev a j w morrison this librivox recording is in the public domain an imperial general hulk had previously been sent into the votland with six thousand men to waste this defenceless province with fire and sword he was soon followed by gallas another of the duke's generals and an equally faithful instrument of his inhuman orders finally pappenheim too was recalled from lower saxony to reinforce the diminished army of the duke and to complete the miseries of the devoted country ruined churches villages in ashes harvests wilfully destroyed families plundered and murdered peasants marked the progress of these barbarians under whose scourge the whole of thuringia wotland and meissen lay defenceless yet this was but the prelude to greater sufferings with which wallenstein himself at the head of the main army threatened saxony after having left behind him fearful moments of his fury in his march through franconia and thuringia he arrived with his whole army in the circle of leipzig and compelled the city after a short resistance to surrender his design was to push on to dresden and by the conquest of the whole country to prescribe laws to the elector he had already approached the molda threatening to overpower the saxon army which had advanced as far as torgau to meet him when the king of sweden's arrival at erfurt gave an unexpected check to his operations placed between the saxon and swedish armies which were likely to be further reinforced by the troops of george duke of lundberg from lower saxony he hastily retired upon Meersburg, to form a junction there with Count Pappenheim, and to repel the further advances of the Swedes. Gustavus Adolphus had witnessed, with great uneasiness, the arts employed by Spain and Austria to detach his allies from him. The more important his alliance with Saxony, the more anxiety the inconstant temper of John George caused him. Between himself and the elector, a sincere friendship could never subsist a prince proud of his political importance and accustomed to consider himself at the head of his party could not see without annoyance the interference of a foreign power in the affairs of the empire and nothing but the extreme danger of his dominions could overcome the aversion with which he had long witnessed the progress of this unwelcome intruder the increasing influence of the king in germany his authority with the protestant states the unambiguous proofs which he gave of his ambitious views which were of a character calculated to excite the jealousies of all the states of the empire awakened in the elector's breast a thousand anxieties which the imperial emissaries did not fail skillfully to keep alive and cherish every arbitrary step on the part of the king every demand however reasonable which he addressed to the princes of the empire was followed by bitter complaints from the elector which seemed to announce an approaching rupture. Even the generals of the two powers, whenever they were called upon to act in common, manifested the same jealousy as divided their leaders. John George's natural aversion to war, and a lingering attachment to Austria, favored the efforts of Arnheim, who, maintaining a constant correspondence with Wallenstein, labored incessantly to effect a private treaty between his master and the emperor and if his representations were long disregarded still the event proved that they were not altogether without effect gustavus adolphus naturally apprehensive of the consequences which the defection of so powerful an ally would produce on his future prospects in germany spared no pains to avert so pernicious an event and his remonstrances had hitherto had some effect upon the elector But the formidable power with which the emperor seconded his seductive proposals and the miseries which in the case of hesitation he threatened to accumulate upon saxony might at length overcome the resolution of the elector should he be left exposed to the vengeance of his enemies while an indifference to the fate of so powerful a confederate would irreparably destroy the confidence of the other allies in their protector this consideration induced the king a second time to yield to the pressing entreaties of the elector and to sacrifice his own brilliant prospects to the safety of his ally he had already resolved upon a second attack on ingolstadt and the weakness of the elector of bavaria gave him hopes of soon forcing this exhausted enemy to accede to a neutrality an insurrection of the peasantry in upper austria opened to him a passage into that country and the capital might be in his possession before Wallenstein could have time to advance to its defense. All these views he now gave up for the sake of an ally, who, neither by his services nor his fidelity, was worthy of the sacrifice, who, on the pressing occasions of common good, had steadily adhered to his own selfish projects, and who was important not for the services he was expected to render, but merely for the injuries he had it in his power to inflict. Is it possible then to refrain from indignation when we know that in this expedition, undertaken for the benefit of such an ally, the great king was destined to terminate his career? Rapidly assembling his troops in Franconia, he followed the route of Wallenstein through Pharyngia. Duke Bernard of Weimar, who had been dispatched to act against Pappenheim, joined the king at Armstadt, who now saw himself at the head of twenty thousand veterans. At Erfurt, He took leave of his queen who was not to behold him save in his coffin at weissenfels their anxious adieus seemed to forebode an eternal separation he reached naumburg on the first november sixteen thirty two before the corps which the duke of friedland had dispatched for that purpose could make itself master of that place the inhabitants of the surrounding country flocked in crowds to look upon the hero the avenger the great king who a year before had first appeared in that quarter like a guardian angel shouts of joy everywhere attended his progress the people knelt before him and struggled for the honor of touching the sheath of his sword or the hem of his garment the modest hero disliked this innocent tribute which a sincerely grateful and admiring multitude paid him is it not said he as if this people would make a god of me our affairs prosper indeed. But I fear the vengeance of heaven will punish me for this presumption, and soon enough reveal to this deluded multitude my human weakness and mortality. How amiable does Gustavus appear before us at this moment, when about to leave us forever! Even in the plenitude of success, he honors an avenging nemesis, declines that homage which is due only to the immortal, and strengthens his title to our tears, the nearer the moment approaches that is to call them forth. In the meantime the duke of friedland had determined to advance to meet the king and even at the hazard of a battle to secure his winter quarters in saxony his inactivity before nuremberg had occasioned a suspicion that he was unwilling to measure his powers with those of the hero of the north and his hard-earned reputation would be at stake if a second time he should decline a battle his present superiority in numbers though much less than what it was at the beginning of the siege of nuremberg was still enough to give him hopes of victory if he could compel the king to give battle before his junction with the saxons but his present reliance was not so much in his numerical superiority as in the predictions of his astrologer sani who had read in the stars that the good fortune of the swedish monarch would decline in the month of november besides between naumburg and weissenfels was also a range of narrow defiles formed by a long mountainous ridge and the river Saal, which ran at their foot along which the swedes could not advance without difficulty and which might with the assistance of a few troops be rendered almost impassable if attacked there the king would have no choice but either to penetrate with great danger through the defiles or commence a laborious retreat through thuringia and to expose the greater part of his army to a march through a desert country deficient in every necessary for their support but the rapidity with which gustavus adolphus had taken possession of naumburg disappointed this plan and it was now wallenstein himself who awaited the attack but in this expectation he was disappointed for the king instead of advancing to meet him at wessenfels made preparations for entrenching himself near naumburg with the intention of awaiting there the reinforcements which the duke of lunenburg was bringing up. Undecided whether to advance against the king through the narrow passes between Wessenfels and Naumburg, or to remain inactive in his camp, he called a council of war in order to have the opinion of his most experienced generals. None of these thought it prudent to attack the king in his advantageous position. On the other hand, the preparations which the latter made to fortify his camp plainly showed that it was not his intention soon to abandon it. But the approach of winter rendered it impossible to prolong the campaign and by a continued encampment to exhaust the strength of the enemy already in so much need of repose all voices were in favor of immediately terminating the campaign and the more so as the important city of cologne upon the rhine was threatened by the dutch while the progress of the enemy in westphalia and the lower rhine called for effective reinforcements in that quarter Wallenstein yielded to the weight of these arguments, and almost convinced that, at this season, he had no reason to apprehend an attack from the king, he put his troops into winter quarters, but so that, if necessary, they might be rapidly assembled. Count Poppenheim was dispatched with a great part of the army to the assistance of Cologne, with orders to take possession on his march of the fortress of Moritzburg, in the territory of Halle different corps took up their winter-quarters in the neighbouring towns to watch on all sides the motions of the enemy count colorado guarded the castle of wessenfels and wallenstein himself encamped with the remainder not far from maersburg between flotzgaben and the saal from whence he purposed to march to leipzig and to cut off the communication between the saxons and the swedish army scarcely had gustavus adolphus been informed of pappenheim's departure when, suddenly breaking up his camp at Naumburg, he hastened with his whole force to attack the enemy, now weakened to one half. He advanced, by rapid marches, towards Wessenfels, from whence the news of his arrival quickly reached the enemy, and greatly astonished the Duke of Friedland. But a speedy resolution was now necessary, and the measures of Wallenstein were soon taken. Though he had little more than twelve thousand men to oppose the twenty thousand of the enemy, he might hope to maintain his ground, until the return of pappenheim who could not have advanced farther than hall five miles distant messengers were hastily dispatched to recall him while wallenstein moved forward into the wide plain between the canal and lutzen where he awaited the king in full order of battle and by this position cut off his communication with leipzig and the saxon auxiliaries three cannon shots fired by count colorado from the castle of wessenfels announced the king's approach and at this concerted signal, the light troops of the Duke of Friedland, under the command of the Croatian general Isolani, moved forward to possess themselves of the villages lying upon the Ripoch. Their weak resistance did not impede the advance of the enemy, who crossed the Ripoch near the village of that name, and formed in line below Lutzen, opposite the imperialists. The high road, which goes from Westenfels to Leipzig, is intersected between Lutzen and Markrenstadt by the canal which extends from Zietz to Mersburg, and unites the Elster with the Saal. On this canal rested the left wing of the imperialists, and the right of the king of Sweden, but so that the cavalry of both extended themselves along the opposite side. To the northward, behind Lützen, was Wallenstein's right wing, and to the south of that town was posted the left wing of the Swedes, both armies front of the high road, which ran between them and divided their order of battle but the evening before the battle Wallenstein, to the great disadvantage of his opponent, had possessed himself of this highway, deepened the trenches which ran along its sides, and planted them with musketeers, so as to make the crossing of it both difficult and dangerous. Behind these again was erected a battery of seven large pieces of cannon, to support the fire from the trenches, and at the windmills close behind Lutzen, fourteen smaller field-pieces were ranged on an eminence, from which they could sweep the greater part of the plain the infantry divided into no more than five unwieldy brigades was drawn up at a distance of three hundred paces from the road and the cavalry covered the flanks all the baggage was sent to leipzig that it might not impede the movements of the army and the ammunition wagons alone remained which were placed in the rear of the line to conceal the weakness of the imperialists all the camp followers and settlers were mounted And posted on the left wing but only until pappenheim's troops arrived these arrangements were made during the darkness of the night and when the morning dawned all was ready for the reception of the enemy on the evening of the same day gustavus adolphus appeared on the opposite plain and formed his troops in the order of attack his disposition was the same as that which had been so successful the year before at leipzig small squadrons of horse were interspersed among the divisions of the infantry and troops of musketeers placed here and there among the cavalry. The army was arranged in two lines, the canal on the right and in its rear, the high road in front, and the town on the left. In the center the infantry was formed under the command of Count Bray, the cavalry on the wings, the artillery in front. To the German hero Bernard, Duke of Weimar, was entrusted the command of the German cavalry on the left wing, while on the right the king led on the Swedes in person, in order to excite the emulation of the two nations to a noble competition the second line was formed in the same manner and behind these was placed the reserve commanded by henderson a scotchman in this position they awaited the eventful dawning of morning to begin a contest which long delay rather than the probability of decisive consequences and the picked body rather than the number of the combatants was to render so terrible and remarkable The strained expectation of Europe, so disappointed before Nuremberg, was now to be gratified on the plains of Lutzen. During the whole course of the war, two such generals, so equally matched in renown and ability, had not before been pitted against each other. Never as yet had Daring been cooled by so awful a hazard, or hope animated by so glorious a prize. Europe was next day to learn who was her greatest general. Tomorrow the leader, who had hitherto been invincible, must acknowledge a victor. This morning was to place it beyond a doubt, whether the victories of Gustavus at Leipzig and on the Leck were owing to his military genius, or to the incompetency of his opponent, whether the services of Wallenstein were to vindicate the emperor's choice and justify the high price at which they had been purchased. The victory was as yet doubtful, but certain were the labor and the bloodshed by which it must be earned every private in both armies felt a jealous share in their leader's reputation and under every corselet beat the same emotions that inflamed the bosoms of the generals each army knew the enemy to which it was to be opposed and the anxiety which each in vain attempted to repress was a convincing proof of their opponents strength at last the fateful morning dawned but an impenetrable fog which spread over the plain delayed the attack until noon kneeling in front of his lines the king offered up his devotions and the whole army at that same moment dropping on their knees burst into a moving hymn accompanied by the military music the king then mounted his horse and clad only in a leathern doublet and surtout for a wound which he had formerly received prevented his wearing armor rode along the ranks to animate the courage of his troops with a joyful confidence which however the foreboding presentiment of his own bosom contradicted god with us was the war-cry of the swedes jesus maria that of the imperialists about eleven the fog began to disperse and the enemy became visible at the same moment lutzen was seen in flames having been set on fire by command of the duke to prevent his being outflanked on that side the charge was now sounded the cavalry rushed upon the enemy and the infantry advanced against the trenches received by a tremendous fire of musketry and heavy artillery these intrepid battalions maintained the attack with undaunted courage till the enemy's musketeers abandoned their posts the trenches were passed the battery carried and turned against the enemy they pressed forward with irresistible impetuosity the first of the five imperial brigades was immediately routed the second soon after and the third put to flight but here the genius of wallenstein opposed itself to their progress with the rapidity of lightning he was on the spot to rally his discomfited troops and his powerful word was itself sufficient to stop the flight of the fugitives supported by three regiments of cavalry the vanquished brigades forming anew faced the enemy and pressed vigorously into the broken ranks of the swedes a murderous conflict ensued the nearness of the enemy left no room for firearms the fury of the attack no time for loading man was matched to man The useless musket exchanged for the sword and pike, and science gave way to desperation. Overpowered by numbers, the wearied Swedes at last retire beyond the trenches, and the captured battery is again lost by the retreat. A thousand mangled bodies already strewed the plain, and as yet not a single step of ground had been won. In the meantime, the king's right wing, led by himself, had fallen upon the enemy's left. The first impetuous shock of the heavy finland curassiae dispersed the lightly mounted poles and croats who were posted there and their disorderly flight spread terror and confusion among the rest of the cavalry at this moment notice was brought to the king that his infantry were retreating over the trenches and also that his left wing exposed to a severe fire from the enemy's cannon posted at the windmills was beginning to give way with rapid decision he committed to general horn the pursuit of the enemy's left while he flew with the head of the regiment of steinbach to repair the disorder of his right wing his noble charger bore him with the velocity of lightning across the trenches but the squadrons that followed could not come on with the same speed and only a few horsemen among whom was francis albert duke of saxe were able to keep up with the king he rode directly to the place where his infantry were most closely pressed and while he was reconnoitering the enemy's line for an exposed point of attack, the shortness of his sight, unfortunately, led him too close to their ranks. An Imperial Geifreiter Footnote A person exempt from watching duty, nearly corresponding to the corporal. End footnote Remarked that everyone respectfully made way for him as he rode along, immediately ordered a musketeer to take aim on him. Fire at him yonder, said he, that must be a man of consequence. The soldier fired, and the king's left arm was shattered. At that moment his squadron came hurrying up, and a confused cry of, The king bleeds, the king is shot, spread terror and consternation throughout the ranks. It is nothing, follow me, cried the king, collecting his whole strength. But overcome by pain and nearly fainting, he requested the Duke of Launberg, in French, to lead him unobserved out of the tumult while the duke proceeded toward the right wing with the king making a long circuit to keep this discouraging sight from the disordered infantry his majesty received a second shot through the back which deprived him of his remaining strength brother said he with a dying voice i have enough look only to your own life at the same moment he fell from his horse pierced by several more shots and abandoned by all his attendants he breathed his last amidst the plundering hands of the croats his charger flying without its rider and covered with blood soon made known to the swedish cavalry the fall of their king they rushed madly forward to rescue his sacred remains from the hands of the enemy a murderous conflict ensued over the body till his mangled remains were buried beneath a heap of slain the mournful tidings soon ran through the swedish army but instead of destroying the courage of these brave troops it but excited it into a new a wild and consuming flame. Life had lessened in value, now that the most sacred life of all was gone. Death had no terrors for the lowly, since the anointed head was not spared. With the fury of lions, the upland Smeyland, Finland, East and West Gothland regiments rushed a second time upon the left wing of the enemy, which, already making but feeble resistance to General Horn, was now entirely beaten from the field. Bernard, duke of Saxe-Weimar, gave to the bereaved Swedes a noble leader in his own person, and the spirit of Gustavus led his victorious squadrons anew. The left wing quickly formed again, and vigorously pressed the right of the imperialists. The artillery at the windmills, which had maintained so murderous a fire upon the Swedes, was captured and turned against the enemy. The centre also of the Swedish infantry, commanded by the Duke and Kneifhausen, advanced a second time against the trenches, which they successfully passed, and retook the battery of seven cannons. The attack was now renewed with redoubled fury upon the heavy battalions of the enemy's center. Their resistance became gradually less, and chance conspired with Swedish valor to complete the defeat. The imperial powder wagons took fire, and with a tremendous explosion, grenades and bombs filled the air. The enemy, now in confusion, thought they were attacked in the rear, While the swedish brigades pressed them in front their courage began to fail them their left wing was already beaten their right wavering and their artillery in the enemy's hands the battle seemed to be almost decided another moment would decide the fate of the day when pappenheim appeared on the field with his cuirassiers and dragoons all the advantages already gained were lost and the battle was to be fought anew the order which recalled that general to lutzen had reached him in Halle while his troops were still plundering the town it was impossible to collect the scattered infantry with that rapidity which the urgency of the order and pappenheim's impatience required without waiting for it therefore he ordered eight regiments of cavalry to mount and at their head he galloped at full speed for lutzen to share in the battle he arrived in time to witness the flight of the imperial right wing which gustavus horn was driving from the field and to be at first involved in their rout. with rapid presence of mind he rallied the flying troops and led them once more against the enemy carried away by his wild bravery and impatient to encounter the king who he supposed was at the head of this wing he burst furiously upon the swedish ranks which exhausted by victory and inferior in numbers were after a noble resistance overpowered by this fresh body of enemies pappenheim's unexpected appearance revived the drooping courage of the imperialists and the duke of friedland quickly availed himself of the favourable moment to reform his line the closely serried battalions of the swedes were after a tremendous conflict again driven across the trenches and the battery which had been lost twice again rescued from their hands the whole yellow regiment the finest of all that distinguished themselves on this dreadful day lay dead on the field covering the ground almost in the same excellent order which when alive they maintained with such unyielding courage the same fate befell another regiment of blues which count piccolomini attacked with the imperial cavalry and cut down after a desperate contest seven times did this intrepid general renew the attack seven horses were shot under him and he himself was pierced with six musket-balls yet he would not leave the field until he was carried along in the general rout of the whole army wallenstein himself was seen riding through his ranks with cool intrepidity amidst a shower of balls assisting the distressed encouraging the valiant with praise and the wavering by his fearful glance around and close by him his men were falling thick and his own mantle was perforated by several shots but avenging destiny this day protected that breast for which another weapon was reserved on the same field where the noble gustavus expired Wallenstein was not allowed to terminate his guilty career. Less fortunate was Pappenheim, the telamon of the army, the bravest soldier of Austria and the church. An ardent desire to encounter the king in person carried this daring leader into the thickest of the fight, where he thought his noble opponent was most surely to be met. Gustavus had also expressed a wish to meet this brave antagonist, but these hostile wishes remained ungratified. Death first brought together these two great heroes. Two musket balls pierced the breast of Pappenheim, and his men forcibly carried him from the field. While they were conveying him to the rear, a murmur reached him that he whom he had sought lay dead upon the plain. When the truth of the report was confirmed to him, his look became brighter, his dying eyes sparkled with a last gleam of joy. Tell the Duke of Friedland," said he, that I lie without hope of life, but that i die happy since i know that the implacable enemy of my religion has fallen on the same day with pappenheim the good fortune of the imperialists departed the cavalry of the left wing already beaten and only rallied by his exertions no sooner missed their victorious leader than they gave up everything for lost and abandoned the field of battle in spiritless despair the right wing fell into the same confusion with the exception of a few regiments with the bravery of their colonels, Gotz, Terzky, Colorado, and Piccolomini compelled to keep their ground. The Swedish infantry, with prompt determination, profited by the enemy's confusion. To fill up the gaps which death had made in the front line, they formed both lines into one, and with it made the final and decisive charge. A third time they crossed the trenches, and a third time they captured the battery. The sun was setting when the two lines closed the strife grew hotter as it drew to an end the last efforts of strength were mutually exerted and skill and courage did their utmost to repair in these precious moments the fortune of the day it was in vain despair endows every one with superhuman strength no one can conquer no one will give way the art of war seemed to exhaust its powers on one side only to unfold some new and untried masterpiece of skill on the other Night and darkness at last put an end to the fight, before the fury of the combatants was exhausted, and the contest only ceased when no one could any longer find an antagonist. Both armies separated, as if by tacit agreement, the trumpets sounded, and each party claiming the victory quitted the field. The artillery on both sides, as the horses could not be found, remained all night upon the field, at once the reward and the evidence of victory to him who should hold it. Wallenstein, in his haste to leave Leipzig and Saxony, forgot to remove his part. Not long after the battle was ended, Pappenheim's infantry, who had been unable to follow the rapid movements of their general, and who amounted to six regiments, marched on the field, but the work was done. A few hours earlier, so considerable a reinforcement would perhaps have decided the day in favor of the imperialists, and even now, by remaining on the field, they might have saved the duke's artillery and made a prize of that of the swedes but they had received no orders to act and uncertain as to the issue of the battle they retired to leipzig where they hoped to join the main body the duke of friedland had retreated thither and was followed on the morrow by the scattered remains of his army without artillery without colors and almost without arms the duke of weimar it appears after the toils of this bloody day allowed the swedish army some repose between lutzen and wessenfels near enough to the field of battle to oppose any attempt the enemy might make to recover it of the two armies more than nine thousand men lay dead a still greater number were wounded and among the imperialists scarcely a man escaped from the field uninjured the entire plain from lutzen to the canal was strewed with the wounded the dying and the dead many of the principal nobility had fallen on both sides even the abbot of fulda who had mingled in the combat as a spectator, paid for his curiosity and his ill-timed zeal with his life? History says nothing of prisoners, a further proof of the animosity of the combatants who neither gave nor took quarter. End of Part six.